Starting on January 11th, Health Power will be posting every Tuesday instead of every Tuesday and Thursday. On Thursdays, starting on the 12th, you're going to get Dog-Eared with Lisa Davis. They write books about dogs. I interview them. So if you're a dog lover, I hope you will check it out. Tell your friends, tell your family, also tell them about Health Power. So again, Health Power every Tuesday, Dog-Eared with Lisa Davis every Thursday. Hope you'll tune in. Does your dog, well, instead of me doing it, our wonderful guest, Dr. Renee Alsaraf, who wrote a fantastic book called Sit, Stay, Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well, is going to do one for us. What does your dog do, Dr. Renee? Okay, so here's the question of the day. Does your dog go up to bed before you go up to bed, right? Is your dog's bedtime earlier? Um, I know for mine, and I have a boxer, and she's, I jokingly say she's trying not to get any more wrinkles. And so she needs, <laughs> she needs to get her, her good night's sleep. So, you know, my girlfriend looks good in the morning. I go to bed at 8.30. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I'm an early bird. Well, Blue wakes me up every day at 4.30 to cuddle. And oh. I love it because I just love him so much. <laughs> but I will tell you a little bit about Dr. Renee Alsaraf. She has created four different veterinary oncology practices and led three veterinary radiation facilities. She has performed numerous veterinary clinical trials, co-authored peer-reviewed journal articles, and has lectured both locally and on the national level. She lives in Montclair, New Jersey, and is married to a veterinary ophthalmologist. They have one son whom she cherishes, as well as Dusty, her beloved bossy six-year-old female boxer. This is a question I always start with for every guest. When did your love of dogs begin? I think it began right from when my memories began, quite frankly. Um, I know that I, you know, in my baby book, my mom would always write that I had this affinity for any animal. And I, you know, have pictures in, in our photo albums of, I clearly am still wearing a diaper, but <laughs> I'm just wanting to pet all the little zoo animals. Um, I have known since the age of seven that I have wanted to be a veterinarian and I have never wavered since. That is so cool. Yeah, you have, you write about that in the book, which we're going to get to. I want to start with this beautiful passage that you write. And I think it's why so many of us just absolutely love dogs. Quote, I am fortunate enough to see this human animal bond in its deepest forms. Power of that bond transcends money, age and race and is without judgment. In some instances, a relationship with a pet may be the only circumstance in which a person feels completely comfortable and loved. There is no shame with an animal, no reason to put on a front. Our four-legged companions accept us as we are and understand much more than we generally give them credit for. I read that quote to my daughter, and she immediately, she's like, Mom, text that to me. I want to text it to my girlfriend, Aww. who also has this affinity for dogs. And you, you just say it so well. I always had a longing for a dog. I had, like many people, a very dysfunctional household. And I just think, wow, how different my childhood would have been in that one aspect of just feeling completely loved and safe with, with a dog. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, too, had a dysfunctional childhood, for sure. And on some level, I can say that my dog saved me. Um, yeah. Yeah right? He gave me, you know, 
steadfast loyalty, companionship, love. He provided fun sometimes when the home situation was so not fun. He was an escape. You know, even just getting to take your dog for a walk and leaving everything behind and being out in nature and getting some sunshine helps or seeing the, your your world through your dog's eyes. You know, I often notice people, they always have their earbuds in when they're walking and things, and I get that. But I like to not do that, right? I want to yeah. hear the birds or see what my dog is, be involved in looking at what my dog is sniffing or something because it gets me out of my own head. And sometimes I need to get out of my own head. Oh, definitely. Speaking of what your dog is up to, I hear chewing. I just want, I just want to see what the, what's, what's going happening here. Okay. Benji's chewing on a tennis ball. It's fine. I just, yeah. you know, <laughs> I was like, did he get something else? <laughs> it's fine. If you hear it in the background, I don't edit it out. This is a dog show. So yeah. I'm sure everybody. Oh, good. And a lab and their, their tennis ball, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I took a video of him the other night. I mean, he's, he's really slowing down. He's nine. He has really bad arthritis. And yeah. he just you know, we got him a ramp, but he's not used to it yet. So he still goes up the stairs and he found a tennis ball in this like crevice of the steps on the deck and it's snowing and he turns around and like really it's difficult for him to balance. And he somehow gets this ball. <laughs> it's <just> like, uh-huh. yep. <laughs> so in the book, you share not only your story of, of having cancer, but you share a lot of stories about other dogs. And I love the way you weave your story throughout theirs. You know, with them, they don't know what's going on. You're talking about how they can get treatment. You wouldn't even know it. They seem fine. This might be an odd question, Dr. Renee, but I'm wondering, did you ever feel envious or jealous of dogs in terms of them not having the worries that we have as humans? Am I going to lose my hair? Is the chemo going to work? How am I going to feel afterwards? How am I going to take care of everything? Being present, being mindful, being in the moment is what dogs are so good at and what humans are trying to do. And it's not easy. So I'm wondering if you ever felt envious. That's actually a really good question. I've been asked a tremendous amount of questions. Nobody ever has thought of that or asked me that. Um, There was not an envy or a jealousy. Um, it Actually, what I did is I used the dog as my recovery role model, right? Yeah. They set the bar higher for me. And, I, you know, genetically, I think they're just tougher than we are. If you think of, you know, you know, heaven forbid, when a woman has a hysterectomy, or at least for me, I couldn't drive for weeks, I was walking hunched over, etc., And yet when your female dog gets spayed, you know, you bring her home the next day. And even though she shouldn't, maybe the mailman comes and she's barking at the door or she runs for a squirrel in the backyard, right? So on some level, they're hardier. But I think um, what what I learned from that, um, from my journey with that, and hopefully what shines through in the book are all these life lessons from dogs, is that dogs live in the moment right? They teach us, they mirror for us mindfulness. And I know like sometimes like you'll go to a spa weekend with a girlfriend and I'll come back on Sunday night thinking I'm changing my ways. I'm going to be so (laughs) mindful. And by Tuesday, that's out the window. But dogs don't have that. You know, when, when they come into the 
to the veterinary clinic, they, um, many of them are pulling at the end of the leash, trying to get the latest smell, trying to sniff who's sitting next to them or what's in the cat carrier next to them. Um, they don't waste any energy on fretting. They're never worried about getting the chemotherapy. And heck, when they're done with chemotherapy, they often hop off the table and are looking for their treat or their biscuit. Whereas for me, the week before I would get chemo, I would be concerned. Oh my goodness, am I going to get sick? How sick is sick? Will the nurse be able to hit my vein? You know, what will this treatment do to my hair? And then even after my treatment was done that day, I didn't say, oh, good, you know, you know, where's my Godiva, which I think hospitals and, and your gynecologist should certainly yes. take a note and, and give us a little treat. Um, but instead, I think it took the nurse three tries to hit my vein. What's going to happen the next time? And so all this negative energy just brings us down, right? It keeps pushing our cork further and further down, and yet our cork is supposed to float. Um, and I think we should try to conserve that energy for healing and happiness um, and take a cue from our four-legged friends. Yeah, it is very hard, though. I mean, I think that's something that definitely being human is so complicated and our mind is going to go to those things. Yes, I can fret with the best of them. But, you know, like yeah. even into like the sanctity of self-care, Right. My my self-worth comes from checking things off my to-do list, not from laying on the sofa if I'm not feeling well. And it, ha- it might not have even anything to do with the C word. Um, right. But, you know, dogs don't do that. They do. They they literally lick their wounds. They they rest when they need to rest. Um, and they're fine with that. Yeah, that's true. I want to read another quote. You write, veterinary patients don't speak to us in words, and so veterinarians use empathy along with laboratory tests to find out what's ailing them and assist them in recovery. I feel like for some doctors who treat people, the empathy is a little bit lacking. And I'm curious what your experience was with that. Oh, my goodness. That really, you know, being a veterinary oncologist and then going through with human oncologists and radiation therapists and oncologic surgeons, it they were great. I am so blessed. I am so thankful. Um, but there were so many differences, right? And and you know, I'm here, thank goodness, and hopefully using the good the good C word cure, right? Yeah. Um, for their incredible advancements and knowledge, but I think as the human specialties have gotten so specialized, they tend to lose sight of the whole patient. Um, whereas I think in general, as a veterinarian, we honor not just that whole patient, but we honor that family dynamic. Because so many things go into, first of all, the decisions on what to treat, how to treat, and how it is that you go through it. You know, I believe in a sense you know, maybe a horrible thing, but something that I've kind of lived by is, you know, every scar tells a story. And, but as a veterinary oncologist, it's, it was my goal to try to minimize people's scars and to try to have them have the least amount of regrets. Um, And I know that my doctor, as I said in the book, would give me like an ointment or a salve for my surgical scars, but 
I don't know how much that they were involved or invested or concerned about perhaps emotional scars. Um, and I think that's so important. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you say that, it, it, you know, you're not just working with the dogs, you're working with the humans, you're working with their families. And they just, of course, love their dogs. You write, hope is a tenuous thing. I always want to try to give a family hope that there are better days ahead and then their pet will have a longer, healthier life. But I have to temper hope with realism. And then you go on to say, honesty, balance with compassion is my preferred path. Yes. So um, I would always say that 50% of my job uh, is psychology, right? It's it's understanding that family dynamic. It's understanding why they're choosing to, to treat their pet. And there's so many different reasons. Um, honesty in the sense of, I believe that knowledge is power. So the right. more information that I can give them about their dog or cat's disease, the better they're going to be able to make that decision. You know, many times they'll say, what should I do, doc? Or they come in thinking, I'm going to make that decision for them. But I can't, right? Because it's more than just deciding how to treat. It's how often are they able, excuse me, how often are they able to come in? Um, You know, financially, can they afford it? What is their risk tolerance? And it doesn't even have to be with the C word. It could be diabetes. You know, some people just absolutely could not fathom giving their cat a little injection twice a day. Um, Or if they have a very, say, fractious or difficult pet at home, they can't imagine doing a pill. Um, And then I feel once they have all the science behind it and the statistics you know, the odds of going into remission, the odds, um, how long that remission would be, um, then I'm happy to guide them. But if, if I, if I don't give them honest information, then that's horrible. But how can they plan? And, and it's so different in the human world, right? In general, you go and you see your physician, and they give us one plan to follow, which we do blindly, Right. Oh, yeah. Just because they said so. And we don't maybe even hear the different options. Um, I think that's so important. Many people would come to me because they lost their spouse and they never wanted their dog. Right. But their spouse wanted the dog. But now they can't give up on their dog because it's their only living tie that they have to their deceased spouse or they themselves have cancer. And they feel like if they give up on their cat, then they're giving up on themselves, which of course they're not. But I understand that. Um, And I found that so many people, no matter how much time they get, it might be just another holiday. um, It might be a few more summers. But once they know that and have that, then they cherish those days, right? I mean, here I am a veterinarian and I sometimes take for granted my own my own dog. Um, but to be able to sit next to them, not across from them, and talk about these things is so important. It really is. You know, speaking about your dog, not only did you have the hell of dealing with your own cancer diagnosis, but Newton affectionately called Nudie, also got cancer. I don't want to give away too much, so I want you to 
feel comfortable sharing what you'd like. Because people, again, they have to get the book, Sit, Stay, Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well. Um, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm all good to talk about that. It felt like I must have kicked an angel in a, in a <laughs> different life, right? Like a sucker punch. We have our pets as companions to go on a hike, to sit next to us on, you know, or lay with us on the sofa at night when we're watching TV. We never think we're going to have our four-legged companion be getting chemotherapy literally the same a week, sometimes day as as we do. Um, and that was really hard. Um, it was really hard. It's hard enough to go through with it for yourself. It's hard enough to talk to your teenage kid about that and your husband and your friends. But then to be the veterinarian that is overseeing your own dog's cancer treatment is is hard and sort of like the shoemaker's children, you know, never have shoes or whatever that that phrase yeah. is. Um Newton did well for quite a while and and you know, basically kicked cancer right in the rear end and put us all to shame, didn't miss a beat, but unfortunately, he did not do as well as the odds. And as things were were not going well and winding down. There is that even, I can't say survivor guilt because I didn't have that, but I expected, maybe naively, for us both to come out of this together. And yet only I did. Um, and that was hard. Someone, actually two different people, I was quite surprised, said, to me, and I, I don't know that I believe this, um, but they said, you know, I wonder if Newton, you know, sort of gave, you know, got cancer and, and gave up his life for yours. Um, I don't know if that's true. Obviously, we'll never know. But it was just something to, that made me think, you know, awfully deep with that. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. And wow. and if I could just add one thing for those of, of the listeners that don't know, they're not all sad stories. There are some that are heartwarming and funny, um, truly life lessons, you know, from from our four legged friends. Oh, absolutely. Well, I was about to segue into that. We learn about a lot of different dogs. And what I love is within each story, there's something that comes out. For example, with Cosmo and three, it was just what we were talking about hope. And so that was really interesting. I think the other thing that came out of Cosmo is you're wanting to connect with the other people, right? Who are getting chemo. And I thought it's so funny. You're like, so what are you in for? And some of them thought it was funny, like, you know, jail kind of thing. And some of it kind of looked at you blankly. And I definitely would have smiled. <laughs> what was it like trying to connect and then not connecting? Was that something that was important to you? Um, I like talking to people, obviously, and I like sharing things, but I think it was another cue from our pets, right? So in the veterinary waiting room, the dogs are sniffing each other. Um, you're sitting next to someone and you do strike up a conversation at first because your dogs are involved, but then you find out maybe information from them. Um, I know with my pet parents, I would always ask before doing this, I would often introduce them to each other. And the waiting room became a bit of their own support system. And I noticed that 
that pet parents started to make the same appointments on the same days and times, and they would look for each other. And there was such strength and love in that. Um, There is the power of the waiting room, people. But for the cancer treatment center that I was at, and from many people that have now shared their stories about their cancer uh, um, treatment center's waiting room, everyone's quiet. You know, it doesn't matter if you come alone, if you bring a girlfriend or you bring your whole entourage and family, people are either staring down at their shoes or looking at their phone and no one is talking. And there's just this, this fog of dread all over us. And you just want to get in and get out as quickly as possible. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous, right? I was always happy or willing to share my story, but really what I wanted was to learn from them. And I learned so much from their stories that helped me in my recovery. Um, so truly, the power of the waiting room is is a real thing in my world. Um, with some of the chemotherapy drugs that I had, it causes terrible bone and joint pains. And Um, I was, you know, someone was just telling me their story and out came that she took Claritin for that, which people take as allergy medicine, right? Now, of course, I never did took anything that my physicians didn't okay. So I would ask my doctors and I would get, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, yeah, that can help. And I'm thinking, then why didn't you tell me? Because I can't get off the sofa. My joints and bones hurt so much. Or... Um, one woman, just in telling me her story, um, sometimes some of the chemotherapy drugs can cause what we call a stocking and glove effect. So where you would, you know, put your stockings on or your, you know, longtime opera gloves on, you can get a pins and needles effect and, and lose some of the dexterity of your fingers. People have trouble buttoning up their buttons or putting in their earrings and you know, as a veterinary oncologist, I need to be able to put a little catheter in a four pound cat's vein. I need to have good, you know, use of my hands. And she told me that she had um, uh, the nurses or she brought her own ice packs and had them wrap her hands and her feet in ice packs. Now, as you know, like if you wear one of those cold caps to save your hair, right, it literally freezes your scalp. So it was the same philosophy, trying to vasoconstrict or make your vessel smaller so you get less chemo to your extremities. And I asked, you know, my my treatment team, and they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. And I'm thinking, okay, so let's do that. Let's minimize some of these, you know, horrible side effects. Does your family include a dog or a cat? Would you like to be better educated on how to advocate for their health naturally? Then why not check out all of the amazing resources on naturallyhealthypets.com? Dr. Judy Morgan is a trusted advisor and a regular guest here on the Dog-Eared Podcast. She has over 38 years experience as an integrative veterinarian, acupuncturist, chiropractor, food therapist, author, speaker, podcast host, and owner of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. Dr. Judy's goal is to change the lives of pets 
by educating and empowering pet parents just like you in the use of natural healing therapies and minimizing the use of chemicals, vaccinations, and poor quality processed food. Head on over to naturallyhealthypets.com where you'll discover healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast, informative blogs, upcoming events, and so much more. Again, that's naturallyhealthypets.com, the place to learn how to give your pet the vibrant life that they deserve. I was so moved by the first, I was moved by all the stories, but Daisy coming in dressed as Elsa. And I love how you say, I always go to my chemo and sweats. I wonder what my <laughs> what they would think if I came dressed as Elsa. That story, because they had a special needs child, made it all the more complicated. Yes. So, um, so it was a lovely, lovely lady and her daughter, who was nine years old at the time, um, and she was a special needs girl. Uh, she was adopted by the family. She could not. She doesn't. She couldn't actually sit up without being strapped into her specialized wheelchair. She couldn't speak by mouth. She couldn't eat by mouth. They had to feed her through a feeding tube through her her stomach. Um, she could do some sign language, uh, but she is this beautiful beautiful girl. And when she smiles, her face lights up the entire room. They brought in at the time their 10-year-old Cocker Spaniel, um, often dressed as one of the Disney princesses. Um, Her mom would always do that because obviously the girl wasn't able to use her own hands to dress herself, let alone her dog. Um, But their favorite, and I think what became my favorite, is she would dress like Elsa. Um, And it was interesting that, you know, sort of one of the lessons in this book is I believe that dogs possess this magical quality, right? Yeah. And they see us for who we really are. Sometimes, certainly other people, even my husband doesn't maybe see me for me. Um, and maybe I'm not showing that to people, right? Or I'm trying to hide something. Um, but Daisy, the Cocker Spaniel, didn't need her girl, Kathy, the nine-year-old, to speak in words. She knew exactly what she needed, and she became her companion. To add insult to injury, Kathy, in addition to all of her her struggles, um, had epilepsy or seizures, and it was very hard for the family. Well, Lo and behold, Daisy, without any training whatsoever, became a seizure alert dog for the family. So they could get her out of her straps. They could, you know, perhaps administer medication. They could come to her when they needed to. Um, And as crazy as it sounds, Daisy herself had epilepsy, thankfully controlled with medication. But just the similarities were, were uncanny. Oh, wow. Now, in chapter four, we learned about your childhood dogs and the dog you have with your husband and son. You had Dickens, Drummer, and Newton. We've talked about your lovely Newton. And I love this. You you write about Drummer. He was the second dog. And your mom made you save up to get him yourself. You're right. (laughs) Drummer was a bright spot and a lifeline. He brought security to me when my life felt insecure. With my mom working long hours, he was a steadfast friend who brought me companionship, fun, and a sense of escape. 
Most importantly, Drummer was a creature who let me love him and love me right back fully and completely. Again, going back to that, ah, the essence of, of dogs and the love that we have for them, the love they have for us and this bright spot in our lives when things are really hard and a bright spot in our lives when things are going great. I mean, it's just all the way of win-win, right? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I think for me, the resounding lesson in the book is that dogs are not just wonderful companions, but they're incredible guides for when we struggle. And we all struggle with different things. And hopefully what's portrayed in the book is the enormous power that the human-animal bond plays in our lives. Oh, yes. Oh, it definitely does. There were a lot of different personalities in the book, uh, both for dogs and for people. And there was one man in particular who had a very distinct, (laughs) rough, cold, demanding personality. Right. You ever need a favor? Yeah. I got you. Okay. No, I mean, if you need anything and you're like, oh, my God, you call Mm -hmm. your husband. Yeah, so true. And that guy, I went toe to toe with that gentleman, not knowing any of this. Um, but yes, it was it was crazy. Um, it was crazy. You also talk about Bentley. And in that chapter, you bring up ignoring your symptoms. You were exhausted, you're burning the candle at both ends, you'd sit on the couch and fall asleep. And I think it's so easy for us to do that. Yet it's interesting where we see things in our dogs. We're like, what? What's going on? Okay, let's go. Get in the car. <laughs> Especially during COVID, right? Everyone's at yeah. home. And it's it's kind of like the running joke in veterinary medicine that, you know, people wouldn't have noticed all of these things. And now everyone wants to come to the vet. Yeah, exactly. When the time came, you chose to euthanize Newton yourself rather than getting another vet to do it. The first thought I had was how hard that must have been. And I'm wondering, how was that for you? It was harder, right? I mean, first of all, it's a horrible thing. Um, You know, I don't think there's a wrong answer if someone chooses euthanasia or someone chooses to let nature take its course, as long as we're always leading with our pet's best quality in mind, right? Yes. So if someone chooses to let nature take its course, thankfully, there are mobile veterinarians that can come, you know, there's pain medication just to keep your pet comfortable. Um, But it's a really hard decision. And it's hard enough to go through it just as a pet parent while it's happening and trying to talk to your to your pet and stroke your your dog or cat um it's even harder when you have your child with you right and that's that's a very individual um decision and and that's often also based on age um most people wouldn't bring their 5 year old to that they just couldn't process that um, but just as a mama bear, we always want to protect our kids from all of those things. And yet, it's so much better for them to process those emotions than to just shield them or try to sweep them under the rug. And then to be the one to do it yourself, to have to hold back your tears because you can't see, right? Or if your hand shakes a little, well, it can't because this has to go into the vein. Um, And yet, 
you know, one of the other veterinarians so kindly offered to do it. But I think because it's my profession, I treated my own dog, it's what I do, I couldn't imagine not not being the one to do that. So I think for me, kind of uniquely, it was the only way. Um, and yet, if I if I wasn't in my job, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend euthanizing your own. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I like that you have some great advice on this. You say, I remind myself of what I review with other pet parents when they are nearing the end of life with their cat or dog. Is my pet in pain? And then you, you give more information on each of these. Is my pet eating? Is my pet active? Is my pet comfortable? Is my pet happy? Because you don't want nature to take its course if, you're, if your pet is suffering. Exactly. And, you know, everyone wants to do it or make that decision on the exact right day. That's hard, right? Nobody wants it to is. do it one day too soon. Nobody, certainly nobody wants to do it one day too late. But I provided that list. And it's not a list where if five of the seven are positive, you know, that you should make the decision. It's really meant with kind of those questions to, to just get you to think. You know, sometimes I'll ask people, you know, oh, is your, your dog eating? You know, or how's their appetite, I'll say. And they'll say, oh, it's great. Well, that's really not a full answer. It's the next question I'll ask is, are they eating their regular dog food? Oh, gosh, no. They haven't been on that for a few weeks. She won't eat that. She'll only eat if I cook her chicken and rice and, and you know, something else. Well, that's a sign, right? Because normally we would want to eat our regular foods. When I'm not feeling well or when my child has the flu, you know, I can then get him to eat jello or some chicken noodle soup. Um, but I certainly can't get him to eat his broccoli or a hamburger, you know, so it's these signs. And hopefully the book helps um, yes. people with that. Yeah, because I think it's, I, I know there was one story, I think it might have been the guy who said he'd, you know, do any any favor you need. I think his wife would, and it wasn't on purpose that they wouldn't fully tell you, like, oh, they, they seem to be okay. And then you find out the dog's sleeping all the time, you know, because right. it's just too hard to, to face but we have to for them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's just so incredibly difficult. What are some of the more common cancers found in dogs? So lymphoma is the number one cancer. Um, it is often genetically spread. It is not always genetically spread. Um, mast cell tumors would be one of the most common skin tumors in dogs. It can look just like a little little pink or red little bump. It can be feel almost like a marble underneath the skin. Um, for cats, lymphoma is also the most common type of cancer as well. Um, both species more common in dogs than cats. They can get cancer in their spleen called hemangiosarcoma, which is a tumor of the blood vessels, um, they can get uh, cancer of their anal gland, right? Um, called an anal gland adenocarcinoma. Um, for, for some dogs, as they get older, if they have not been spayed, or for cats too, they can get mammary gland or breast cancer. Oh, wow. Gosh. I know, it makes me so nervous. Are, are some of the signs pretty clear? 
You know, sometimes you notice a lump or a bump when you're petting your dog or your dog comes home from the groomer and the groomer says, oh, Mrs. Smith, I noticed there's a lump right here. You should always get that checked out by your veterinarian. No one can tell you just by feeling it if it is benign or non-cancerous or heaven forbid malignant. Um, Your veterinarian can do what we call an aspiration cytology or they sometimes call it a needle biopsy where they put a needle into that and just take out some cells and send it off to the laboratory to look under the microscope. Um, And it's very easy. There's no bandages. There's no, you know, stitches needed. Um, And it's a great way to know if you should perhaps do something about it or not worry about it. Um, Other, other clinical signs might be if your dog is sleeping more. And, you know, we all take into account, oh, she's getting older, or oh, it's really hot outside, and we're all, you know, lethargic from that. Um, Or is my dog or cat drinking more water or urinating more? Is my cat flooding the litter box? Um, Is my uh, pet not eating as much? Or, Or are they just eating with less gusto? Or Are they eating the same amount, but my goodness, they seem thinner? Or sometimes people don't notice that they feel thinner, but their collar is much looser. That's another indication, right? Right. Um, So these are all different things to notice. And, And it's harder with animals. You know, part of them just being an animal is they don't show their clinical signs like we do. And they can't tell us, um you know, if something feels different, um, or if they're just not feeling right. Now, is it difficult to not take, take it all in? You know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a drug and alcohol counselor for a while. And then I was like, I'm, I I can't, I'll just be sad all the time. And even though you do amazing work, sometimes things obviously don't work out. Is it, how do you handle those emotions? Um, In part, I have this incredible work team and we share, right? So after the family goes home, we might cry together. Um, We might reminisce or talk about a happy story about them or a funny story that their dog or cat did that maybe the family shared with us. Um, I think it's also really important to concentrate on the good, you know, you know, just like Daisy, the Cocker Spaniel. After three years, she was doing great. We took her off chemotherapy. Like they do really well. Um, And those are the things that we have to have to focus on. Or one of the stories Cosmo in the book made it to his 16th birthday and they had a birthday cake. And those things are what's wonderful. Um, you know, a lot of people or some people in these interviews ask me, you know, what was the most important thing you learned in veterinary school? And and this ties into your, your same question. And it was the opposite of what I learned. So I was a senior veterinary student and I was following around this very seasoned older clinician. And I remember being in a room and he was um, giving some sad news to a family about their pet who had think had some heart disease and kidney disease, and they were crying, right? And that white lab, starched lab coat, his arms were just right down by his side, and the people left, and I thought, oh my goodness, that's so sad. And I got a little misty in, in that um, exam room. And 
he pulled me aside after they had gone. He said, you know, Renee, Renee, come here. Uh, he's like, you know, don't worry about this. You know, in a, you know, after a few cases and a few years, you'll toughen up. You'll see this won't affect you. And oh right then and there, I thought, oh, my gosh, if I'm ever not feeling my feelings, if I'm ever callous or hardened to this, then that's the day that I can't work anymore as a veterinary oncologist. Because for me to do my best job, I have to be able to feel. So beautiful. Well, if people want to learn about all of these great dogs, Daisy, Bentley, Cosmo, Dickens, Drummer, Newton, Bogart, Sasha, Franny, and Lucky, Dusty, and Callie, and all the wonderful lessons, you've got to get this book. Again, Sit, Stay, Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well. Dr. Renee Alsaraf, veterinarian. You know, I really am doing a dog show. I need to learn. (laughs) It's a hard word. Veterinary. Is it? Is it veterinary? Because people say veterinarian. I'm like, no, it's veterinarian. Yes. Veterinary oncologist. Was there anything you wanted to add today, Dr. Renee? It's been such a pleasure having you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. You have a great podcast series that I love. Um, I hope, I hope. My hope for the book is that it does a lot of good in this world. Someone recently read it. She has a Westie named Oscar, who's five years old and completely healthy. And she said that after she read it, she felt that she was a better pet parent. She felt that she was a better person and she felt happier. And I hope that's what so many readers get out of the book. Yeah, it's really wonderful. And by the way, your hair looks great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so did that Paxton cap end up working pretty well? Is that what it's called? Pa- it did, Paxton? Um, uh, Paxman, yes, the cold cap. It did. I didn't start with it until two times after, you know, getting chemotherapy. So I was already starting with less locks than I would have liked. Um, it certainly didn't save everything, but it saved, it saved a lot. Um, yes. So Before I let you go. I have to read one more quote. This is so funny. A running joke among veterinarians is that our patients don't care what we look like, what we're wearing, or whether we've combed whatever hair we have or don't have. Throw in a pass for not brushing your teeth, and this might be a good job for a middle school boy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of humor in the book, too. It's really fantastic. (laughs) That was really funny. Again, sit, stay, heal. What dogs can teach us about living well? Dr. Renee Al-Saraf. What is your website? Oh, it is um, sitstayhealbook.com, and heal is H-E-A-L. So sitstayhealbook.com. I love wordplay. I think it's brilliant. Well, this has been really, really great. I've really enjoyed having you on. Everyone keep coming back to Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. And while you're at Dog Eared, it's on the same platform as Health Power. It is his 10-year anniversary. And uh, please keep coming back to both. Rate, review, and subscribe.